Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift dedicated to telling just that. Scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Tonight, our host, Deadhead, shares with you six tales. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Down the dark alleyway, your host awaits. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. What took you so long? Well, let's get on with it. Tonight, I've dug up six stories about cemeteries. First, Jake pisses off the wrong nurse in Don't Mess With the Dead. My name is Jake, and I've been a cameraman for over ten years. About three months ago, I booked a gig to film a group of supernatural investigators exploring a haunted house. I didn't believe in ghosts, and the pay was good, so I took the job. Turns out, it wasn't a house. Brad, the head investigator, explained he and his friends were going to stake out an abandoned asylum from the 60s. It was a large property with several buildings and its own cemetery. Now, this place was known for its terrible treatment of its patients, but the most evil of the staff was a woman named Night Night Nurse, known for slowly poisoning her patients with arsenic tea by convincing them it was their medicine. It's estimated she is responsible for putting at least 43 victims into that cemetery. A real psycho. Brad wanted to approach the shoot like a documentary, only instead of interviewing people, he was going to interview ghosts. His star of the show would be Night Night Nurse herself. The schedule was tight. We had several locations on the property to hit that night. The main dormitory, the conservatory, and last but not least, the cemetery. We met up at 9 p.m. and began to set up. Same old, same old. Then Brad shared his creepy idea. He was going to throw a small tea party for the night-night nurse. He figured that if we recreated her favorite pastime, that she would appear. He set three cups, a teapot, and a small bottle of arsenic on a steel table. 
The room we chose in the dormitory was as dusty and creepy as you would imagine. There was no electricity and one dilapidated rocking chair in the corner of the room. That was it. There were four of us in total. Me, Brad, Chris the sound guy, and Tim. Tim handled the EVP recorder and digital thermometer. EVPs pick up auditory communications that the human ear would normally miss, and the thermometer detects changes in temperature associated with the presence of the spirit. I set up the night vision camera, and Brad and Tim sat down on the floor around the tea set. Chris was in the corner with the sound equipment. I said we were rolling, and Brad jumped right in. Hello, Mrs. Knight? My friends and I have some lovely tea here. Would you like to join? He asked. We're feeling a little sick. Maybe you could come take care of us. Tim chimed in. Yeah, I hear you make the best cups of tea. As they were talking, the EVP recorder was running. It generates a static sound, and if you're lucky, you'll hear the voice of the spirit break through every once in a while. All of a sudden, we hear something come through the static. The temperature in the room dropped 15 degrees. Medicine. Then again, a little clearer. Medicine. The voice was surprisingly deep and gravelly. We looked around at each other. We couldn't believe what we were hearing. Then one of the cups fell over. It just gently tipped onto its side and rolled a bit. The guys were thrilled. They increased their taunting. Brad coaxed his spirit. Come on, that's it. This is a tea party. I need my tea. Things went still for a minute. Then we heard a creaking. The damn rocking chair had started to slowly move back and forth. Brad shouts out. Oh man, are you getting this? Keep rolling, keep rolling. The rocking chair started to pick up speed like someone really irritated was sitting there. It kept getting faster and faster when the EVP reporter popped over and started making this sort of screeching sound. This was getting way too intense for me, but the rest of the crew loved it. I was ready to run out of the room when everything went quiet. There was this weird heaviness in the air, but that was it. A warning light flashed on my camera, then the battery shut off. In a matter of minutes, my fully charged battery had completely drained. I had to tell them we were no longer recording and I needed to run to the van to grab the extra battery. Brad flipped. Oh, come on. I thought you were a pro. We're losing time here. Honestly, even with his meltdown, I couldn't be happier to get out of that room. The property was big and we had parked on the other side, 10 minutes away. I made up my mind on the walk back. I was going to finish the scene and take off. As I walked down the hall to our shooting location, I heard the EVP. It was humming. I mean the kind of humming a mother might do as she rocks her baby to sleep. I began recording and turned the corner into the room. The first thing I saw was the rocking chair, gently moving in time with the humming. With my head down in the camera viewfinder, I told Brad I was getting all of this. He didn't respond. None of them did. I started to pan around the room with the camera, and there they were. Chris was slumped over in the corner, his mic on the ground. Tim and Brad were both laid out on the floor, one on either side of the tea set. I dropped the camera and ran to them. I checked their breathing and pulse. They were all dead. I got out of there as fast as I could, and I called an ambulance. It wasn't until the police showed up that it hit me. Brad had made it to the cemetery that night after all, just not the way he planned. Don't you think? 
not showing up to a party like that, when it meant so much to her. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Well, you'll have the next break to think about it. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My death day. You missed it, you cold, heartless cadavers. Oh, who am I kidding? Those are all the reasons why I love you. <laughs> Speaking of love, our next story is all about love and corpses. I call this one Shadow of Embers. George Bernard Shaw once said, You cannot be a hero without being a coward. Well, I had no choice but to be a hero that night. My name is Naomi Pickens, and I grew up on a cemetery. Make your jokes, I've heard them all. You try getting kids over to your house for a sleepover when you live in a place most horror movies start. Honestly, I grew to love the peaceful green grounds and the general quiet of the place, but it wasn't that way at first. The day my parents sat me down and said we would be moving into my grandparents' property on the grounds of a cemetery, I cried. My family comes from three generations of funeral parlor owner-operators. We are in the business of death, and business is, well, inevitable. There are three buildings on the property, the residence, the chapel, and the crematorium. They sit on ten acres of sprawling green pastures. I'm not lying to you when I say the place is normally beautiful. Nothing really spooky ever happens. It was only that one night, that night that changed my perspective on fear and the dead. We had only been in the house for a few months, and it was just another typical night. I had dinner with my parents, had taken my standard bubble bath, put on my footy PJs, and brushed my hair and teeth. Mom read me a story, and my dad tucked me in. I snuggled up with my stuffed bunny, Mr. Carrots, and fell right to sleep. After a snack, a glass of water, another story, and my nightly bargaining. I hated sleeping alone in that place. Most nights I could guilt them into letting me sleep in their room, but tonight they had work. Mom and Dad had an early service the following morning to get ready for. I gave in and grudgingly fell asleep. It must have been an hour later when my eyes popped open and I was staring, wide awake, at the ceiling of my bedroom. I sniffed the air. Smoke. I could feel him before I could see him. Someone was in the room with me. My eyes struggled to focus in the darkness, but then I saw it. A massive cloaked figure of a man standing over my bed. He was staring at me. I wanted it to be my daddy. I mean, I really wanted it to be him. But I knew in my bones it wasn't. 
I was shaking like a scared rabbit. Everything inside me said to jump up and run, but I was frozen. Then it whispered, run. I shot off the other side of my bed, clutching Mr. Carrots to my chest. I didn't scream, I didn't cry, I just ran to my parents' room. I flung open the door and saw them lying under the covers, and I vaulted into their bed. Mommy, Daddy, I screamed, but they didn't stir. I shook them, but I could see no signs of life. I pulled down the sheets and could immediately smell the smoke. It wasn't my parents under the covers. It was him. His eyes sprung open and revealed two smoldering embers behind burned paper eyelids. His brittle, charred skin began to crack and split, revealing veins of orange flames. This time, I screamed. I ran from him and searched for my parents. I went to the only place I could think of, the crematorium. I bolted into the office of the crematorium. I found Mom and Dad asleep in front of the TV, but something was wrong. Their bodies were contorted, like they had collapsed on each other. The blue light from the TV flickered across the room and cast a grim glow. I ran to them, crying, screaming. I jumped to their laps. My nightmare was over. My mommy and daddy would keep me safe. At least, that's what I hoped. But they weren't waking up. And that's when I saw him again. He ran at me, mouth wretched open, spewing black plumes of smoke. A firelight shot from the seams of his clothes, and he charged at me and yelled, Get out! My parents fell on top of each other like plastic dolls. I realized this fiery man must have already gotten to them. I had to do something. I ran a mile in the dark to my neighbor, Mr. Harvey's house. I pounded frantically on his door until he answered and told him my parents were dead in the crematorium. He called 911, and within minutes, the police and fire department were there. They headed straight into the crematorium. I saw my parents taken out on gurneys. I saw the medics with hoses and tubes and tanks, with syringes and a defibrillator. But I wasn't scared. I knew somehow, standing there, clutching Mr. Carrots, they would be okay. Carbon monoxide poisoning. That's what they said it was. When my parents had a cremation, they would put on a movie in the office to pass the time until the cremation was over and it was time to process the cremains. After my parents put me to bed that night, they put a body in the retort and watched a movie while it burned. The exhaust pipe for the cremator had finally cracked after three generations of use, and a small crack that went unnoticed was silently suffocating them. It would seem my nightmare happened just in time. Everyone said I was a hero. If I hadn't gone to the neighbors when I did, I would have been the youngest owner of a cemetery and an orphan. The next day, my parents let me sleep in. They were up, though. Even after a near-death experience, they were up and at it. They couldn't afford to take a day off, and even if it were possible, you can't cancel a funeral service, especially one like this. I woke up, got dressed, and headed over to the chapel to see my parents. I had never seen the chapel so full. This person must have been very important. The man at the podium was giving a eulogy. Tom Washington was a husband, a father, and a dear friend. He died doing what he was born to do, to be a hero. He ran into a burning building to save the family asleep inside, even after the captain said it was too dangerous for us to enter. Knowing Tom, I know his last thoughts weren't for himself, but for the family he could not save. When the service finished, my parents and I approached the urn to pay our respects. That was when I noticed the photo of the dead firefighter. It was the fiery man from my room the night before. Mom, 
him. He's the man who made me run to the neighbors and get help. It couldn't be him, love, Mom said. He was the one who was in the cremator last night. I guess a hero's work is never done. But have no fear, cadavers. Our work is just getting started. More stories after this break. What's that saying? All work and no play makes Tom a dead boy. <laughs> Someone should tell Tom that in our next story. Business of death. I've made a living dealing with death. Well, <laughs> driving it anyway. Day after day, I would pick up a casket from the funeral home and drive in procession to the burial location. Like any job, it had its perks. It was quiet and no one ever complained when I had myself a smoke. It was 11 a.m. and I had pulled up for a gig. I parked out back and waited for them to load up the casket. Things were running a bit late, so I sat down on the bench next to the loading area for a smoke. I had just lit up my cigarette when she showed up. Tiny thing, blonde hair, piercing dark eyes. Just showed up out of nowhere and plopped down next to me. Smoking? Yeah. Enjoy it while you can, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying. On a break? Yeah. Me too. A break from what, kid? Oh, I just finished up in there. <sighs> I don't think you should be out here. It's fine. I still have a few more minutes. Hmm. See that black car over there? People are going to put a box in the back any minute. You know what's in the box? George Mitkins. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did you know him? As much as I know any of them. Hmm. You're kind of weird, kid. <laughs> I like you, Tom. Uh, how did you know my name? Hey, Tom. Yeah? Avoid the tunnel on your way to the service. So you're a traffic reporter? Yeah, I got it. Really, Tom? I'm working it in 17 minutes. Uh, uh, okay. Bye, kid. I looked down for a split second to put out my cigarette. When I looked up, she was gone. I'm, I mean, just gone. I stood up and walked inside the dock right as they were bringing out the casket. I asked them if they knew where the kid went. They hadn't seen a kid. Now I was really starting to get creeped out. I sat in the hearse and waited for a signal to start the procession. It was eating at me. How the hell did that kid know I was taking the tunnel? For a second I thought I might take a different route to the cemetery, but nah, that, that would be nuts. So I took the tunnel. I swear I, I saw that strange girl's face seconds before the hearse plowed into the back of that stalled semi. tunnel went up in a ball of flames and twisted metal. Only a couple people made it out. I wasn't one of them. Learn from Tom Cadavers. Work too hard and eventually you'll crash. <laughs> No rest for the wicked, though. We have more stories right after this.
Ever wonder what it's like to work the swing shift in a cemetery? Find out in our next tale, Trespassers. My pops always said, son, fear will make you blind. Most people don't push past their fears to find the truth. But me, I always found the truth. Until that night. My name is Roy Green. I'm a security guard at the Eternal Valley Cemetery. Now protecting the grounds of a cemetery, you're gonna see some weird stuff. But there is always a practical explanation. But this, this time it was different. Early one evening, my boss Chuck called me into the office and said, Roy, I don't want you making your rounds tonight. I want you to stake out Constellation Garden. Looks like someone was digging out there last night. He seemed shook up. I jumped at the chance to catch these knuckleheads. They were messing with the wrong dude. I take pride in my work and in my cemetery. I went to the vending machine, grabbed a snack, filled up my sports bottle, and grabbed my gear. Flashlight, pepper spray, cigarettes, and a deck of playing cards to help pass the time. I figured the best tactical surveillance position would be near the mausoleum across from Constellation Garden. I'd have full view of the cemetery while being totally hidden. As I headed over to the mausoleum, I was reminded why we call it Constellation Garden. As the sky darkened, I could see airplanes, blinking satellites, and millions and millions of stars. It was beautiful. I found the bench in front of the mausoleum. Before I sat down, I checked the mausoleum to make sure I was alone, all clear. I took a seat at the bench and looked out over the graveyard. I could see the whole lawn in front of me, rows and rows of headstones standing still in the moonlight for all eternity. I could easily detect the slightest movement. The stakeout was going to be a piece of cake. It was just after eight, so I figured I had at least a couple hours before any trespasser showed up. Turned out it wouldn't take that long before things got interesting. I was whistling a tune, Oh Susanna, when I heard a rustle behind me, like something coming out of the ivy. I glanced back, nothing. Figured it was probably a rat. No human could have gotten past me. I kept whistling, looking around. Then I heard the raking of leaves over cement, but there's no breeze. Before I could investigate, I heard a whistling coming from behind me. The hairs on my arm stood up. I recognized the tune. It was Oh Susanna, the same tune I had just been whistling. I flipped around, flashlight in one hand, pepper spray in the other. Hey, who's there? I yelled, but there was no reply. Just the echo of my own voice. I stared closely, concentrating, probably another guard messing with me, but there was no one. No one behind the fountain, no one laying in the ivy, no one on the roof of the mausoleum. I stayed there for a few moments, standing like a statue, waiting to see a person appear from out of the darkness. No one ever showed. I sat back down and lit a cig. I took a long drag. I felt stupid. I scared myself. Probably a weird echo thing. I mean, I was surrounded by polished granite. It could happen, right? but that's when I saw a warm glow out of the corner of my eye. I turned back toward the mausoleum and there was this bright pinhole of light floating about 100 feet in front of me. It would seem our trespassers were less interested in the garden tonight. I took another puff, trying to wrap my brain around what I was looking at. A reflection of my cigarette, maybe a laser pointer. As I moved my cigarette to take another puff, the light started to move with it in the exact same motion. Gotcha. Someone was there toying with me, mimicking my movements with their own cigarette. I tested my theory a couple of times, and it always moved just like mine. Then I heard the whistle, right next to me. 
It was oh Susanna again. I shiver round down my spine. I turned, but there was no one there. I could still see the glowing light in the darkness. This was starting to get too weird. Then the light and the whistling stopped, vanished. Once my heart slowed down, I decided that I was done playing games. I was going to find these punks and I was going to scare them straight. I proceeded to search every inch of that damn mausoleum and the surrounding areas. Nothing. Not even a footprint in the muddy lawn. I must have searched for two hours. Nada. Figured the little bastards got away. I was going to see if the boss would let me pull the swing again tomorrow for a rematch. This was starting to feel personal. After two hours of silence, I decided to stop pacing and pulled out my deck of cards to build a card castle. I had an hour till my shift ended and I was bored. I sat on the bench facing the mausoleum so I could keep an eye out for the knuckleheads. After an hour and a half of stacking, balancing, and adjusting, I had built a pretty impressive three-tiered house of cards. I stood to stretch when I glanced over my shoulder and I nearly passed out. I could not believe what I saw in the graveyard. Fourteen caskets, unearthed and stacked in a gruesome three-tiered house of cards, just like mine. Sorry, Pops, but this is way out of my jurisdiction. My shift was up and I was out of there. Trespassers be damned. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. news cadavers you're not the only absent-minded minions among us our next story has carol asking herself what's she forgetting i have something important to do today what is it oh my god what time is it damn it 7 30 a.m no 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 i forgot to set the alarm why didn't david wake me up when he left what am i forgetting Lily, book report due. Liam, soccer practice, 5 p.m. Vet appointment, 3.30 p.m. Phone consultation out Strander family regarding service planning, 2 p.m. Wait, service, 9 a.m. 9 a.m., shit, shit, shit. Wait, I know I'm missing something. If it's not in the book, I'm good. I'm good. Breathe, girl. Pull it together. Put on your go-to dress and a little eye makeup. You got this. At least David got the kids to school. Everything is fine. You're fine. Whoa. Jesus, David. Don't worry, I can tidy up, get ready, run a business, and feed the dog, too. Ugh, this is Lily's book report. Of course he forgot to have her take it with her. And no coffee left for me. Why would there be? God, it's gray out today. 
the hell is that? Did I wake up in the 17th century? She has black hair pulled into a neat bun, black Victorian gown, no makeup. Kind of creepy. This is a first. She must be early for the 9 a.m. service. Better tell her to wait in the parlor. Okay. Where the hell did she go? Buddy, food's in the bowl. Go on. 8 a.m. Better call Gage and make sure he has everything under control at the chapel. Hi, Gage. Totally slept in. Sorry, hun. How are things going for the service prep? I never just show up for a service. Why would I just show up for this one? I know you're good, but I'll be there in 30. Doesn't hurt to have some extra help. I just need to go over some paperwork first. Gage, you're being really nice today, but you know I like to meet with the family before the service begins. I feel great. Why? She's back. This gothic chick. She keeps walking toward my house and vanishing. Seriously, this is not the chapel. No, sorry, not you, Gage. I'll see you in a few. We have a wandering mourner on the property. Going to send her your way. Hello, ma'am? Can I help you? God, that's a cold chill for July. Something odd about this lady. So pale. No emotion. She looks like she's gliding. Must be in shock. Hello? Ma'am? Not you. I think you might be looking for the chapel. You still have an hour before we get started, but feel free to wait in the parlor. It's just on the other side of the property. I'm never early. Okay. Well, the service isn't until nine. Just head over that way and my assistant Gage will help you get settled until then. Not him. Carmine, quiet! I'm so sorry about that. Where'd she go? What is with today? Okay, no more distractions. It's getting late. I need to finish looking at that contract, see if they paid in full. God, I know I'm forgetting something. Hello? Hello? Who's there? <gasps> How did you get up here? Who are you talking to? You know. Oh my god, your eyes. Gage! 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 Mrs. Sam? Why is Lily's teacher here? Mom? Dad? I know everyone here. Oh my god, no. I, I remember. My babies. David! Get away from them! Them. I'm never early. I thought Carol was going to be late to her own funeral. Turns out she was only late to her family's. <laughs> Up next, one last story. Which means one last break.
welcome to our final story of the evening. This one follows Janice as he hunts through haunted cemeteries for the perfect souvenir. From an early age, I developed a love of history, a love that I inherited from my grandma. She taught me to appreciate the past and the stories it held. A few years out of college, I decided it was time to take a trip. My grandma had just passed. It hit me hard and I needed to get away. That's when I found the brochure on organized historical tours of the South. Perfect. Most of the trip was exactly what you'd expect. Major Civil War battle locations, retired plantations, ports of tactile interests, and awkward meals with history geeks I just met. It wasn't until Richmond, Virginia during a late night cemetery tour that things got unusual. I'd picked up a souvenir in honor of Grandma in every major city. It was the last tour of the trip and I was leaving in the morning, but I had yet to find the right piece to take back from Richmond. This was my last chance to find something. At midnight, the guide corralled our group just outside the cemetery gates. His monologue delivery was choppy and uncomfortable at best, and I promptly tuned out. My eyes began to wander to the plaque on the wall next to me. Typical info, date built, founding priest, that kind of stuff. At the bottom of the plaque, written in an ancient-looking script, a passage read, And in this place of hollow ground the devil shall not pass. This was the sort of stuff Grandma loved. How I wish she could be with me right then. It was in that moment that I smelled it for the first time since she had left us. Rose water. Grandma had learned to make it as a child and had used it as her signature scent ever since. That smell tugged at my heart. I looked around at the faces of my tour mates as we entered the cemetery grounds and wondered who was wearing it. As we walked, I suddenly felt a shift inside myself. I was pulled from my nostalgia by a sinking feeling. The hairs stood on the back of my neck and I could hear my heart drumming. I could smell the rose water again, this time so much stronger than before. That's when I saw her. Clear as day at the far end of the cemetery grounds, just beyond the gate. My grandma, I was in a sort of trance as I crossed the countless tombstones towards her. When I reached the gate, grandma slowly turned and began to walk off into the darkness, fading from view. Wait, don't go. Stay with me, I whispered. Just then the tour guide's voice broke through, jarring me back to this world. No wandering off, lady. We need you guys to stay close. Tour rules. Trust me, you don't want to be alone out here anyway he said with a patronizing smile. I shook off the last of my haze and apologized. For a few more minutes, I lagged a bit behind. Both stunned and unnerved, clearly I had imagined it right. I hardly remember tipping the guide and saying my goodbyes to everyone. The crowd dispersed, but I stayed a bit longer, just lingering there. I don't even know why. When I finally did leave the cemetery, I noticed the smell was back. I could feel her. I looked back to the cemetery gates. Nothing. I faced forward and she stood right in front of me. Her smile seemed forced, odd. She reached out her hand for me. Something deep inside me rallied against the idea. I reached out and took her hand anyway. Suddenly flashes of human horror shot through me. Blood, pain, suffering. These things racked my body. I crumbled to my knees from the weight of it. When I looked up, she was gone. By the time I got to my room, it was past 2 a.m. 
I was leaving on an early flight home, and I didn't have anything packed up yet. I was too shaken to sleep anyway, so I grabbed my half-filled suitcase and began packing. Favorite shoes, check. Sweats, check. Souvenirs, check. The smell of rose water drifted past. I froze. The bathroom light began to flicker. It was odd because I was sure I'd never turned it on to begin with. My heart started racing, and I could feel the blood pounding in my ears. The air around me felt charged, heavy. I told myself to breathe, that it was an old place, old wiring. I slowly walked towards the bathroom and turned the corner. There she was again. Her warm eyes, sweet smile, and silver hair were in sharp contrast to the fear that was ripping through me. All I could get out was the word Grandma. The light flickered more intensely and she began to change. She started looking ashen, waxy, and her skin didn't look right. It was beginning to sag and slide from her hairline to the bottom of her jaw like a mask slipping out of place. She cocked her head and stretched out her arms like a marionette posed for a hug. I lost it. I screamed, turned and ran out of the room. Moments felt like hours in that dimly lit hallway. I had to get a grip. Clearly something was wrong. Grandma needed my help. Why else would this be happening? It's just Grandma, I told myself as I worked up the nerve to go back into my room. As I entered, I forced myself to look over at the bathroom. The light was off. The rose water smell was gone. Everything was unnervingly normal. There was nothing left to do but to sit alone on that bed and wait for the sun to rise. Breakfast that next morning was a blur. In part because I was so exhausted, and in part because I couldn't stop seeing Grandma that way. She must be reaching out to me for a reason. It was time to give Aunt Jessie a call. Aunt Jessie is my mom's younger sister. She's special in many ways, but her ability to communicate with the other side is extraordinary. She could help. I boarded the plane exhausted and edgy. Sleep. I just needed to sleep for a bit. I found my seat. I settled in and my head dropped back. I began dreaming just as the plane leveled in the air. I was in Grandma's mountain home, sitting at the breakfast nook like I had so many times. It was so familiar and lovely. Just then, the room began to darken. The smell of rose water came over me. I heard a noise from Grandma's bedroom and sprinted in that direction. As I entered the room, she lay silently on the bed. I approached her slowly, and her head whipped to the side. She was staring at me. As I came close, I saw her mouth was missing. She whined and pointed at me, piercing fear in her eyes. I sprang awake. The captain told us we were about to land. As we disembarked, I called Jesse immediately and poured out everything that had happened since I showed up at that cemetery. Jesse listened patiently to all of it. Then the clicking started. That's Jessie's signal she is tapping into something. Her tongue just starts going and you know, you know you're about to hear something big. And then the silence hit. She hesitated. She told me that the woman I'd been seeing was not Grandma. The thing I was seeing was very old and very tricky. It's not even human. It was a demon. Jessie explained it must have been waiting outside the gate of the cemetery, unable to travel onto hollow ground. It sensed that I was vulnerable, that I was searching for something, a souvenir. 
It used my memories to trick me. I asked it to stay because I thought it was my grandma. At that point, the fluorescent lights over me began to flicker and the smell of rose water filled the room. The phone cut out. I stood alone in the pulsing light, my luggage the only thing left on the carousel. The demon was with me. A souvenir I had never meant to bring home. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. How sweet! Janice found the perfect gift. The one that keeps on giving. <laughs> Unfortunately, Cadavis, the only thing I can give you is the boot. I hope you enjoyed our six stories about cemeteries. And do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The six stories you've heard were written by Will and Jessica Martinez. Tonight's production starred Todd Lights, Fiona Dorn, Kayla Jeffries, Gogo Lomo David, and Todd Denson. With editing by my younger brother, Martin Martinez. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell.